Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 90 uh, this week. So Psalm, Psalm 90 is where we're going to be at. Uh, before we get started, though, I wanted to ask, have you guys ever noticed how quickly we want to be grown up? Right? You know, our kids, they talk so much about how they can't wait to be a grown up. When I'm grown, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this house. I'm going to decorate it this way. I'm going to have this job. I'm going to do all of these things. And then we as the parents are kind of look at them and are like, yeah, <laughs> good luck with all of that. You know, like you don't know about all of the bills that you have to pay and all of the other things that go into having a house and, and the responsibilities of a job and the responsibilities of, of raising your children of your own. Right. And so we just sort of kind of chuckle at that. <laughs> you guys don't really know what it's like. So you need to enjoy the life that you have now. Right. As, as children. And then I look at my own life, and I think about the struggles that I have uh, in the time that I'm in now, uh, and probably my parents and that generation are probably looking at me the same way, like, Man, you're still young, you've got like a lot of, a lot of things you have to learn, and, and so, so we kind of go through this cycle of life where we're constantly looking back at, at the younger generation and saying, no, like, enjoy this time that you're in now, because it's passing quickly, Right? And so in some ways, that's really the way that God sees us. He sees uh, our lives going that way. And we'll see that as we read through Psalm 90 today, this, this idea of how quickly time passes. Uh, when we look at Psalm 90, we'll see that uh, Psalm 90 is what's known as a communal lament. So Pastor Seth preached last week on Psalm 13, uh, which is a lament psalm, and it's an individual lament. So it's typically... Uh, the things that the psalmist was talking about were things that were affecting them personally. Uh, <clears throat> you know, some they're crying to God in this time of need. And, and really, a communal lament is not really that much different. Uh, the main difference is it's typically details some t- sort of catastrophe of some kind that affects an entire group of people. Uh, usually, the, for the context of the Psalms, typically it would be the entire nation of Israel or the, the congregation of, of believers. And so, uh, so that's what we're going to be looking at today is this communal lament uh, in Psalm 90. And so uh, just a couple of other examples, if you want to look in, in the future, some other examples of communal laments would be Psalm 44, Psalm 60, uh, Psalm 74, 79, and, and a few others. Um, <clears throat> so we're looking at Psalm 90 and if you've ever noticed as you read through the Psalms, uh, you may have noticed every once in a while there's different headings that'll say book one, book two, book three. And the Psalms are actually divided up into five separate books uh, within the Psalms. And so the first three books of the Psalms, they tend, tend to focus primarily on the monarchy, the, the kingdom, the kingdom of David and beyond. And so that's the general focus of it. And it goes all the way until the end of, of book three, is almost talking about the fall of that kingdom, the fall of the, the line of David, and, and they're beginning to be in the period of the exile. And so we get to book four, and Psalm 90 is actually the first psalm of book four uh, of the psalms. And what you'll notice if you read through, read through these psalms, at Psalm 90 through 106, the recurring theme throughout those psalms is the kingship of God right? It's, it goes even further than the line of David, and it'll go all the way back to Moses and, and the time of the Exodus and, and the early stages of Israel. And it shows that even though they may not have a king, 
a physical earthly king, their king is Yahweh, is the Lord, right? And so that's the focus of all of these psalms, and that's what we're going to see when we look through uh, Psalm 90 today. And uh, yeah, looking at Psalm 90, we'll see this concept of the fleeting nature of our humanity uh, in the light of an eternal God. This psalm is the only one in the psalms that's attributed to Moses. Moses is is described as the author. If you see that above, above the verse, it says it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. It's the only one that's attributed to him. And so if, as we read through it and as we think through it, I want you to consider that and realize that this was Moses in the wilderness with the Israelites uh, on their way to the promised land, stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, we're probably mostly familiar with, with the stories uh, of that time frame. And so consider that as we read through this psalm. And so if you would uh, read with me Psalm 90. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So as we look through this psalm, Moses prays ultimately that we would gain this heart of wisdom. And I believe that as we read through this text, there are two things that we must do uh, to live wisely in light of these truths. <clears throat> so first, in order to live wisely, we must recognize our sin. This is verses 1 through 10. Uh, you see in the beginning, it, it goes through this, this kind of a step-by-step -step pattern. It starts by declaring God. Our God is eternal. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. So before Moses even begins the lament portion, he makes this declaration, this affirmation of praise to God as the Lord. Uh, he is Adonai. That's the word uh, for Lord here is Adonai. So it emphasizes the sovereignty and the majesty of God in this, in this context. And then he identifies him as their dwelling place. You might consider that especially in light of Moses speaking to the Israelites uh, they were in the wilderness, right, for 40 years. They had no home. 
a place to call their own home. So the Lord literally had to be their dwelling place, their sense of security, their uh, refuge. They had no refuge other than God. And so that's what the idea here is, is that he is our dwelling place. Uh, Moses, uh, before his death in Deuteronomy, uh, he makes the same declaration. He says, the eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. So even as he's dying and the people are about to enter the promised land, he's reminding them, he is our dwelling place. The Lord is our refuge. He is the one that we must go to. And before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the, the earth and the world, uh, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. He uses this almost like a birth type analogy. As before the mountains were brought forth, um, it really has the idea of before the mountains were born, uh, or uh, before you gave birth to the earth. That's the terminology that's used here. And so it may seem kind of strange for us to think about that, this concept of God giving birth, but really the, it's just poetic language to describe the idea that the Lord is the giver of life. He's the source, the one and only source of our lives. <clears throat> and from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So he affirms again the kingship of God over all creation. Right? He says that this supremacy uh, is, is through God and it's everlasting. So from everlasting, meaning eternity past, all the way to eternity future. Concepts that, that we cannot fully grasp. He has always been God. He always will be, always has been, always is, and always will be. And so we see this, he sets up this idea of the eternal nature of our God. And then beginning in verse 3, he contrasts that with our humanity. Right? He says, you return man to dust. There's this tonal shift. Right? He, he shifts from this idea of the sovereignty, the greatness, the goodness, the eternal nature of God. And then he comes and turns to man and says, you return man to dust. It brings back that idea of Genesis 3, right? Whenever man sinned at the fall and he says, uh, God told Adam, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. He says that to, to Adam in Genesis 3.19. But in this psalm, it, that terminology is even stronger. It's not just, it's not just dust. The idea is it's, it's uh, something that's crushed, like a powder, and so I imagine uh, most of us have probably done this, maybe especially as a kid, if you go and like pick up a clump of dirt, right, as you pick it up and it's, it's still like a kind of a ball, right, and then you can just take it and you just like smash it in your hands and it just turns into dust and you just like let it drop. That's the idea that God is saying, that Moses is saying here about God is he crushes us, right, he brings us back down to this powder, this dust from which we were created. And then he says, return, O children of man. So it's the word of God, right? He says it, and this is what happens. Uh, Spurgeon said it this way, God resolves and man dissolves. So a word created and a word destroys. So at the word of God, to say return, O man, to the dust, and, and man will do that. And then he says, a thousand years in your sight, or as but yesterday when it's passed, or as a watch in the night. So our days pass by so quickly, right, to, that to God it almost seems insignificant in the light of God, right? Uh, if you read through the scriptures, uh, according to the records of scripture, the longest man who ever lived was Methuselah, and he lived to be 969 years old. 
So if you imagine that, the average lifespan today uh, uh, that, I, that I read is about 72, 73 years old is the average lifespan. Uh, that's the equivalent of 13 lifetimes for us, right? I mean, that's a significant length of time, 969 years. I couldn't even imagine that. But that's not even a 1,000 years, right? And this says that to God, a 1,000 years is just like a day has passed. Or not even a day, but it says it's just like a watch in the night. A watch in the night is a four-hour period of time. Like, how quickly, how quickly do four hours pass in a day, right? I mean, we, we look at our days, and they go by so fast, so quickly. Just a four-hour period of time where you're doing some task, and it flies by, Right? That's the, the idea that Moses is saying here, that God sees our time on this earth in that same way. It's, it's almost insignificant, uh, the, 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 the length of our lives. And then he says, you sweep them away as with a flood, and they're like a dream. So this idea is that life, it's so fleeting, right, that God sweeps them away. And when he does that, it's, it's as if they fall asleep, right? And it's... To fall asleep is a, is a euphemism used in scriptures to speak of death. So uh, it's, he's, it, he sweeps them away. And then he says, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. So people are like the grass. It begins to flourish in the morning time. Uh, and then, I mean, we've probably experienced this here with the, the heat that we've had. You know, it doesn't take too long for our grass to turn brown, right? The scorching heat will, will hit it, and if we're not taking care of it, if we're not watering it, feeding, feeding it, it's, they're going to die, right? It's going to turn brown. And that's, that's the idea that he's saying here. It's this, it's this short life cycle of grass. Uh, Spurgeon, he said it this way. I, th- I, I think that Spurgeon, he just has a way with words. Um, but this is what he said is, here's the history of, of the grass, Sown, grown, blown, mown, gone. And the history of man is not much more. So you can imagine he, it ends with gone. So he, he was British, so he was probably able to say, he probably said the word gone that sounded like, you know, rhymes with that. I, I tried to do it, and my southern Arkansas accent gets in, and it just sounds like gone. <laughs> you know? So uh, maybe it works that way, too. So... But that's, that's the history of grass. And that's what Moses is saying here, is that to God, that's how our lives are. It it's so quickly passes. So he set up this contrast. We have the eternal God, and then we have this fleeting, fragile, temporal humanity, right? So we are temporary in nature, in light of our God. And then in verses 7 through 10, he gives the reason, really, the full reason behind that. Um, you know, our mortality, it's not accidental. Uh, and it was not in our original nature, right? We weren't originally created to die, right? We were created to live and to enjoy God and to live in the garden. That was the call of Adam and Eve, to, to live and obey in the garden. But by their sin, when they sinned, it brought death to our lives, Right? And so that's the reason why we are so fragile, even more fragile than maybe we were. As, I mean, obviously there's a difference. He's the creator, we are the created ones. But sin 
created an even stronger gap, an even wider uh, gap uh, between the nature, our natures. And so it is God's anger for our sin that brings our end. We are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. So those two verbs, to be brought to an end and we are dismayed. Uh, other translations put it this way. It says that we are consumed or we are terrified, right? The fear, we have fear because of the wrath of God. And I think that's healthy to have a fear of God in that, in that regard, right? We fear it. Uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 6, the psalmist is confessing his sin to the Lord. And he says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. So it's something that we try to avoid at all costs, right? We want to avoid this wrath of God, but we cannot fully avoid it because we are sinners. And because of sin, God <clears throat> has demonstrated his anger towards sin. And towards that, he shows his wrath. One author uh, put it this way, unless God takes pity on sinful people, life is an unrelieved sequence of toil and trouble. And he says, you've set our iniquities before you. See, this is, this is where it comes down to it. This is why he shows his anger to us. As you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So he clarifies the reason for God's anger. It's because of our sin, right? We cannot hide our sin from God, no matter how much we may try. Another, another psalm, Psalm 44, says, Who, Would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart, right? God knows our hearts. He knows the secret sins within us. And our sin is revealed in the light of your presence, is what Moses says here. So it's, God is light, is what he's saying. And in light, there can be no darkness. The darkness will be exposed, we will see, he will see the darkness, the sin that is inside of us. He, we cannot hide it from him. Our secret sins are revealed to him. So as you think about this, Moses, Moses would have clearly had a specific idea in mind, right? He was in the wilderness. He saw the sins of the people and he had compassion over them. And in some ways he had anger for them too, right? I mean, we see that uh, as you read through the, read through uh, Genesis through, or Exodus through Deuteronomy, really. You see this, this sinfulness of God's people, right? They were complaining about everything. Um, and so that's what he would have had in mind as, as these people who had fled from Egypt um, and were given a promise of a promised land, but they had sinned so greatly against the Lord while they were in the wilderness that he made them stay in the wilderness for 40 years so that the, that generation who had fled from Egypt would eventually die and they were not allowed to enter into the, king, into the, to the promised land and it was the next generation that was allowed to, to enter. Not even Moses uh, was allowed to enter into the promised land because of sin that he had done as well. And so these things would have been what would have been on Moses' mind as he was reading, as he was writing this uh, the children of Israel have been brought out of Egypt, as one author says it this way, they have been brought out of Egypt with a high hand, fed in the wilderness with a liberal hand, and guided with a tender hand. And their sins were peculiarly atrocious. 
we too, having been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and saved by abounding grace, will be verily guilty if we forsake the Lord. And so that's, that's what he's trying to get at it here is, is if we do not put our focus on God and on the grace uh, and mercy, if we do not receive the mercy of God, we will face this same enduring wrath. And it says our days pass away under your wrath and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. It's just like that, a breath, just, and our lives are gone. That's in God's, in God's view. That's how our lives are. And the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. So again, this number, it, it fits within the average lifespan of humanity today, too, but it would have also fit within the context of, of Moses' day as well, uh, his experience in the wilderness. Uh, he would have been focusing on the general lifetime of those people in the wilderness, telling them, you know, we have 70, 80 years tops, right? Moses was the exception. He lived to be 120, the Bible says, but he was the exception rather than the rule, right? But it says we have 70 to 80 years max, and that's it. Um, and they pass away so quickly. And the way he words this, it's, it's, almost, it's almost as if, yeah, I mean, he, he words it as if it's a it's, it's so insignificant, right? He says, the years of our life, what are they? It's 70 years, right? 80 years tops. That's it. The way it's written is, is kind of broken up like that. It's, it's this idea. We, it's so insignificant, it's almost not even worth mentioning. And yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone away, gone, and we fly away. And so this little period of time that we have is seemingly filled with sorrow, right? We've, we're filled with, with sorrow and pain and trouble. But where does that come from? It comes from sin, right? It comes from the sin that we have committed against the Lord that's created this gap between us that fills us with this sorrow. Again, uh, Moses would have had in mind the experiences of the people of uh, the nation of Israel in the wilderness, but really, this psalm serves as a prayer that would be useful at any time, right? At any time of adversity, uh, when there's sorrow and death in life that is so clearly pointing to human sinfulness, right? We see that in our world today, tragedy upon tragedy, and death, such needless death in our life, it seems. And it's all because of our sin, right? It's a result of our sin and the wrath of God against that sin. So in order to live wisely, I believe the first, as I said, we must recognize our sin. But second, in order to we must rejoice in our God. So beginning in verse 11, we rejoice in the Lord's instruction. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So Moses here is asking a rhetorical question. In that really no, but no one knows the power of God's wrath. Right? That's what he's saying here is who can know the power of God's wrath? And this wrath is directly proportionate to the fear of God. Right? He says your wrath according to the fear of you. Other translations put it this way. Your fury according to the fear that is due to you. So in other words, 
when we don't fear, when we don't reverence God, more of God's wrath will come that is directly proportionate to that fear. So if we lack fear, more wrath comes to, to make that proportionate. That's, that's really the idea here is, is the wrath according to the fear of you is that those who do not fear and reverence God enough, more wrath will be revealed to them. And we see that in Romans, right? In Romans 1, when it says that the glory of God is revealed to all of us, and yet we reject it. Those who are not believers, we, they reject it, and their hearts are darkened, and they are consumed by their own sin. And, and that's the idea, this sinfulness, it creates more wrath, more anger of God towards them because of that sin. And so the fool does not fear God, and so wrath comes upon him. But Proverbs teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? We must fear the Lord in order to have wisdom. And what must we do to consider this power of his anger? He says it in verse 12, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. And so our days are filled with activities, right? We have events, we have plans that we live throughout the day. And, and so we, we go through and we make all of these plans in our life. And what Moses is saying here is to teach us to number our days, it doesn't just mean to count them, but really it means to evaluate them in light of the fact that we only have 70 to 80 years or, you know, more, maybe less. Uh, we don't know. And that's the, that's the idea, is, is that we must evaluate our plans, evaluate our activities in light of that, in light of the fact that we are, our lives are so fragile and so fleeting. So he's praying that God would help us to recognize how brief and fleeting our lives are in light of who God is. And he's praying that God would help him to realize how important it is to plan out those days uh, that he's given. And then the result of recognizing this brevity of life, this uh, planning our lives in such a way that we gain a heart of wisdom, right? That's what he says. If, we, if you help us to teach us to number our days, if we can evaluate our days, please help us to do that so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. That's what we're looking for, this instruction, this wisdom from the Lord, And so that's why we ask, he asked God to teach us, right? We must have his instruction. He must teach us how to evaluate and number our days. And so we must rejoice not only in the Lord's instruction, but we must also rejoice in the Lord's compassionate faithfulness. He says in verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Right? If you recall in verse 3, he's already used this term to return, Right? He says that, that, God, you return man to dust, and you say, return, O man. Here, Moses is using that same word to say, now, God, I want you to turn away from your wrath and instead return back to your favor, right? To return back to God's favor for me. And then he asks, how long? Right? Pastor Seth preached on that last week. This idea of how long, O oh Lord. 
He's saying, God, it's been so long. I've lived in this wrath for so long. Please turn back to me. Show your favor to me once again. Show your favor to us as a people, as a nation, as a group of believers. And have pity on your servants. This idea of to have pity is really to have compassion towards your servants. So although, although they are sinners, Moses is praying that the Lord would have pity on them, to show compassion to them and favor towards them because they are still believers, right? They are still believe, but they're trying to please God, and yet they're still living sinful lives, right? We, we can relate to that, right? I want to please God, and yet I still feel as though I sin so much, right? And so that's what Moses is saying here is, I'm trying to please you, God. Please help me, have pity, show compassion to me, and satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. So this morning here, it's, it's used uh, to... Uh, throughout the Psalms, this concept of the morning is used to, to describe this period of renewed joy after a time of affliction, right? In, in Psalm 30, for example, it says, His anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So he's saying, in the morning, bring us this, satisfy us with your steadfast love. And this idea of to satisfy, we think about that in our English terminology and think to be satisfied is, is to, be, to be pleased, to have enough, right? I have just enough. I'm satisfied. But that's not the concept here. This idea of to be satisfied, Moses is saying he wants an abundant provision. It's not just a mere satisfaction that we think of. I want to be abundantly provided for. God, please, in the morning, provide me with your steadfast love, with your Hesed is the word that is used here, this idea of, of love and covenant faithfulness. He's appealing to, appealing to God in his covenantal uh, nature, right? Which is why I didn't, I didn't mention this, but in verse 13, this is the first time where he goes back and he uses the, ret the word return, O Lord. And we mentioned this every week, I think, that we've talked about the Psalms, this idea of the Lord here, it's all capitals, it's the idea of, of the covenantal name of God, of, of Yahweh, the Lord, right? He is our Lord. It is his covenant, covenantal name, uh, and that's what he's appealing to here. Moses is appealing to God's covenant. God, you have made this covenant with us. Please show your faithfulness to this covenant that I know that you, that I know that you will, right? But he's saying, don't just satisfy us, but make it abundant, I want to be filled with your compassion, with your faithfulness, with your love. And make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. When I first read that in my English mind, you hear that and you think, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. It sounds like, God, you've, you've just hammering us with affliction upon affliction and just do what you can to try to make us happy, right? Do what you can to make us glad for all of these days that you've given us. But that's not the idea. It's really what he's saying is make the gladness that we have be proportionate to all of this affliction that we have already faced, right? We've faced all of this affliction, and God, I want you to now 
turn in such a way that now our days will be filled with gladness, with joy, with your compassion, with your faithfulness. When you do that, it'll be, you know, that's when we will rejoice. We can rejoice because now we are no longer under this affliction because we have turned to you. And so please, God, return to, to us. <clears throat> and to let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. So not only is Moses praying for deliverance from this life of evil, he asked that God's work would be shown. Right? They faced these years of toil and suffering, and now he's praying that they would see God's blessings. Right? He wants the Lord to grant them favor. And then he says, "Let the favor of your Lord, of the Lord our God be upon us." And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And so he's saying, not only, not only, God, do I want to see you doing this work in our lives, I want our work to be established as well, right? I want to do the things that are pleasing to you. I want you to establish me in such a way that my works reveal your glory, your faithfulness, your compassion, your love. So those who were, who were once weak and dying, right? We're, we're weak, we're dying, we're fleeting. We have 70 to 80 years. Time passes so quickly. He's saying those of us who were so weak and dying were consumed with God's wrath. Now, God, I'm praying that you would have us be filled with joy, right? To be filled with the Lord's instruction, rejoicing in the Lord's compassion, rejoicing in his covenant faithfulness. And then those who strive to live for his pleasure do not labor in vain. Right? 1 Corinthians 15 says, To be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So our work will be established if we can live wisely. And the only way that we can live wisely is by rejoicing in our God. Right? We recognize our sinfulness and we rejoice in our God. So our lives are short, right? They pass away so quickly. And yes, we have a multitude of things that we do on our daily life. I mean, my days are filled, our days are filled with, with activity upon activity, things that we have to do and plan out uh, for, the, for every day. So yeah, we will get our new apartments like our kids long for, and new homes and new jobs, and all of those things that we've dreamed about as children. But we must plan them according to our brevity, right? According to the, the realities that our lives are fleeting. And plan them in light of the glory of God. We must recognize our sinfulness in the light of a an holy and eternal God. You know, death comes to all of us, right? Because death is the result of sin, and all have sinned. But the psalmist didn't stop there, right? He didn't stop just in our sin. He went further. And we can't do that either. We can't just, not only must we recognize our sin, but we must rejoice in the Lord, right? As believers, we're called to put our faith and to put our trust in him. Even though we're weak, even though we're frail, when we trust in him, he will turn our sorrow 
into joy and will help us lead lives that will honor him. So we must seek his instruction. We must seek his compassionate faithfulness. And when we do that, then we will live wisely. Let's pray.